Man, I tell you what, I missed being here in person with y'all the past couple of weeks. I missed it. Facebook is okay and, and, and talking on the phone and stuff is okay, but it's not like being there in person, is it? I really miss it. I miss seeing all you guys. It's good to be back. My opening scripture this morning is going to be in Proverbs chapter 14, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. Then we're, also, then we're going to jump right into 2 Timothy. And the Lord's been dealing with me the past week. You know, I keep praying to God. I say, God, I see the, 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 the people are looking for truth. People are looking for something. The world's gone half crazy. We look around. If we watch the news, we just scratch our head. We, we see things today that we would never have thought even five years ago, we would have saw. And, and we wonder and we try to make sense out of it. But people need the truth. People need to hear the Word of God. And the reason I think we don't, and the title of my message today is No Time for Compromise. There's too much compromise in the world today from the truth. And, and I'm going to talk about that this morning a little bit. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 in the New King James Version, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I want to read from the Message Bible, and I want to read verse 13 with it. It said, There's a way of life that looks harmless enough. Look again, it leads straight to hell. This is the Message Bible. The one that, at first I had to repent because I said, God, that, that, that version's too watered down. And God showed me it wasn't. But here it's stronger than what the New King James was saying. And then verse 13 says in the Message Bible, Sure, those people appear to be having a good time, but all that laughter will end in heartbreak. Father, I pray that as I deliver this word that you burn into my spirit this week. Father God, I pray that the hearts receive it. Father God, that the word has its effect on people. Father God, not that we get angry or we get upset or feel like the preacher's preaching at us or whatever, but Lord, that Your truth penetrates our being and we apply it to our lives so that we can be better prepared to be the kingdom-building people that You've called us to be. Lord, I thank You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. As I said, the title of my message is No Time for Compromise. And I, I read a lot of feeds from Christian magazines and, and, and different sources, different preachers, different uh, uh, venues. End Time Headlines is one of my favorites, but there's a whole bunch of them I read. And I read one on there the other day that I started crying when I read it because it talked about one of my favorite authors and preachers. And I'm not going to call his name out publicly in church. You can ask me later if you want to. But this man, I, I, I had a lot of respect for this man. He preached the uncompromised gospel. He preaches good word. He's wrote books that I've read before that has helped me in my spiritual walk. But it said that he actually publicly apologized to the LBGTQ community for preaching biblical marriage sermon a few years ago. They didn't want him coming back. In a, there was a certain church that he was supposed to go speak at, and, and 
they had a large percentage of their congregation were, were LBGQ type people and they said we don't want him here because he preaches biblical marriage and he went public and apologized for preaching a message on biblical marriage I will never apologize for what this word says I don't mean to offend anyone personally myself I never want to offend people but if the word offends you then you, you need to let the word offend you but this particular preacher apologized for preaching on that. He said, I still stand by it and I'm sorry that my sermon on biblical marriage offended you and I still believe that's the way it is, but I apologize to you. He didn't need to apologize for God's Word. God, God's a big God. We don't need to apologize for what His Word says. If His Word cuts us, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. The Word says that, right? So if it cuts us a little bit sometimes, it may be because we need cut. It may be because there's something that, that we need to, to look at. It's truth. It's the standard that all God-fearing people should follow. No time for compromise. Folks, Jesus Christ is getting ready to come back and get to church. And He's going to come back and get a church that's not full of compromise. He's coming back to get people that stand true to what His Word says. That is their standard for living. God's Word says it. I believe it. That's what I'm living. That's the kind of people that Jesus Christ is coming back for. And I said, God, there's so much compromise. I see it in the world and even in the church sometimes there's compromise. And people in the church will compromise what they believe and, and what their values are. And I've even seen people compromise their good names and their integrity. There's Christians right now that are contemplating playing games with their taxes so they can get a better tax refund. There's Christians that play games and kind of fudge numbers on their tax returns. That's compromise. We'll get into some more of those in a minute, but we got to get this in the heart. This is not the time to compromise. The standard of the Word of God, this Word is a lot older than any of us. God's way of doing things don't change just because culture changes. Just because everybody else is doing it don't mean we should do it. And as the Christians, I believe that's the reason today why a lot of times the Christian people can't, can't get people to want to come to church. You invite people to church. They don't see the church as being that much different than they are. We should be that shining light that this young lady sung about this morning. We should be the example of what God's Word is. we we got to live it. Yeah, I know sometimes it challenges us. I've, I've had the, the, this word prune me a lot of times. I've had it cut me deep before because I was like the, song, the, the, the guy that wrote the proverb, there was a way that seems good to me. I use my human reasoning sometimes and things sound good to me. But if it disagrees with God's Word, it's human reasoning and, and humanistic thought has overtaken our country and that's why we've We've quit being a nation under God and a Christian nation because we've turned away from the standard of God's Word. We've got to keep it at the forefront. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture, all Scripture, all Scripture, not just the parts that make us feel good, all Scripture <clears throat> is given. <clears throat> 
by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's for all of us. This word is not just for preachers and evangelists. This word is for all men and women of God. That word is to help us be what we need to be in Jesus Christ and be the example we need to be to this lost and dying world that seems to say anything goes and anything I can sit around and think about and meditate on and sounds good to me, we'll try it. Oh, I think I'm not a man. I'm a woman today. I think I'm not a woman. I'm a man today. I think I'm... Uh, going to be this, or I think I feel like that, or I think that, that, that this will be good. People, people do weird stuff. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 5. The Apostle Paul giving instruction to the young minister Timothy. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Both of these scriptures clearly say that God's Word is the standard we are supposed to live by. We should preach the Word. We should receive the Word. We should let the Word do what it needs to do within us. We should not compromise the Word of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to apologize to anybody for what God's Word says. That broke my heart when I heard this guy do that. When I read that. Whatever the Word says is what we're supposed to do. Is it always easy? No, I know it's not. And for many years, I struggled to live up to everything that Word says. And I still miss the mark sometimes and has to have, have to ask God to forgive me and, 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 and get past something. Because something new might cut me. I might see something that I've never seen. Or I may, I may be like that proverb says, and, and, and I'm doing things that seem right and sound good, but then God points out to me that, I'm, that it's not right or it's not good or there's a better way, there's a deeper truth to it. So you need to do what the Word says and as Christians, we don't need to beat people over the head with the Word, but we need to speak the truth of what the Word says. When people, when people bring up these things, and, and we hear them all the time, people say things, and I'll give you some more examples in a minute, but people will, will say things that sound good to us and seem like a nice way to do things, but if it's against God's Word, it's not right. And, and I'll give you some examples in a minute. We need to stick to, to the letter of the Word we don't need to take it out of context. But we need to stick to it. And we need to live by it. Let's get a definition going of compromise. Compromise is an agreement or a settlement of a dispute that is reached by each side making concessions. An ability to listen to two sides in a dispute and devise a compromise acceptable to both. An agreement, an understanding, a settlement. Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes we need a compromise. Not with God's Word. Some synonyms for compromise are trade-offs, middle ground, 50-50, happy medium. We've heard these terms. Some of us use these terms. We compromise with our children sometimes. Children know how to try to get mom and dad to compromise, do they not? They know how to work us. 
we, 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 we tell them uh, certain things, and they say, well, how about this instead? Be careful. If you let kids get you in a compromise, they'll work you the rest of your life. Grandkids know how to get grandparents to compromise. Amen. You better be amen, and I've watched it with my wife in action a lot of times. They can, they, they, it's like they got grandma and grandpa around that little finger, and, and can I have a piece of candy? No, you'll spoil your dinner. We're getting ready to eat. Please, just a little bit. First thing you know, grandma's compromising, and out comes the candy jar. Not just one piece, but two or three pieces. That's compromise. Then we wonder why, why ain't she eating her dinner? Could be the candy. I'm not preaching that at my wife. But lots of y'all know what I mean there. Compromise means to settle a dispute by middle concession. But here's a definition I ran across that really bothered me. A compromise is to accept standards that are lower than is desirable. That's the kind of compromise I believe that happens in the churches sometimes and in our walks with God. We compromise and accept a standard that is lower than what's desired by God's Word. Many of us, there's, there's many of us are people that work in the medical profession. We don't want to compromise on safety standards. We don't want to compromise. We don't want the, the big car makers compromising the safety standards on the cars they're building for us. We don't want our doctors and nurses compromising on safety standards that they live by, such as, such as hygiene methods and things like that. We don't want them compromising our health. We don't want people compromising our safety. Why, why do we compromise God's Word sometimes? Because it sounds good to us at the time in our humaning reason. But we've got to make sure that we keep the standard forefront. Sometimes people think compromise is okay, and sometimes maybe it is. Maybe you, trust me, if, you, if you're married, you've, you've learned how to compromise. Me and my wife learned how to compromise. She compromised and let me hang a couple of dead animals in the house on the wall. I'm trying to get her to compromise and let me hang a couple more. So far, she's not compromising. I don't know what it's going to take. I'm going to have to give and take. Maybe I'm going to have to take her on a better vacation this year or something. I don't know. Maybe we can come to a compromise that I can hang some more of my fishing and hunting trophies on the wall. You compromise. Kids compromise with their parents, they, they, maybe you tell your kid, okay, uh, be home at 10 o'clock. Oh, Dad, all the other kids are staying out till midnight. Can I stay out till midnight? Maybe you compromise and say, okay, I'll meet you in the middle, 11 o'clock. Compromise. Sometimes compromise is not bad when it's, when, when it's trying to come to a mutual understanding. But when we accept something lower, when we compromise our standards, where we accept something lower, we compromise our integrity, we compromise... Uh, the truth of God's Word. We compromise uh, how we're living. We, we compromise our good name. We compromise safety. Let's look at an Old Testament example of compromise. Turn, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Give you a couple minutes. Anybody turn in there? Some of you are looking up on those. I know some of you got those digital Bibles. Deuteronomy 17 Moses is given the law and given instructions. Even then, God knew the people would want a king. One day would want a king. So 
God gives Moses the law to, to, and the principles for, for governing kings to abide by. Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 14. Moses speaking what God has given him. When you come, when you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as a king over you. But you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But, here's the part I want you to focus on. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites, and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not, in other words, full of pride, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Moses gave this law for the future leaders of Israel. De uh, King Saul, of course, was the first king, and he kind of started off good, but he quickly went south, and he had to be renewed, re removed, and the anointing left him, and, and God removed him, and David come in, and for the most part, David walked in God's way. Uh, he wrote most of the Psalms, and, but David wasn't perfect. David had sin come in. David compromised. Uh, he had big-time compromise. He compromised. And he should have been with his men on the battlefield, and he stayed home, and Ended up getting in trouble and committing adultery, and then he had to con contrit. Uh, he had to to murder, and he committed conspiracy to commit murder, and had the the lady's husband uh, put in harm's way, so he would surely be killed. That was murder. That was conspiracy to commit murder. David compromised. He repented, and God forgave him, but he compromised. But I want to go even further than David. David's son Solomon. Let's fast forward and talk about Solomon a minute. We're, we're going to go to 1 Kings here in a minute, chapter 10 and 11. But David compromised. He repented. I believe God forgave him, restored him. God, God, God had patience with David. He showed him mercy. But when you fast forward to Solomon, Solomon was the wisest man. We've, we've read throughout Kings, you can read, uh, throughout 1 Kings, you can read the stories and you can read in Chronicles in different places about Solomon. You can read how smart he was. He prayed for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. People, leaders from other countries, even the Queen of Sheba, come and sought Solomon for his wisdom. He built a massive fortune for the country of Israel. Israel was, at the time, one of the most respected nations in that free part of the world at the time. Of course, everybody was plotting to take them over. And the enemy was ready to come after him. But he built a strong army. He built a strong defense. He built the, the uh, temple. Then he built himself a palace and other buildings. 
the temple God wanted built. I think he went a little overboard on the palace and some of the other things. God, God had wanted him to build the temple. And it was extravagant. And, and he was respected by all the world's leaders. But let's look and, look and see what he violated. Remember, remember what Moses said the kings were not supposed to go to Egypt to get horses. Wasn't supposed to go back that way again. Wasn't supposed to, to marry many wives from strange lands. Let's read what Solomon did. Starting in 10.28. Also Solomon, 1 Kings 10.28. Also Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Kebeb. The king's merchants brought them at Kebeb at the current price. Now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the, uh, the Hittites and the king of Syria. He began to sell horses to other leaders even those who would be, rise up and be Israel's enemy. He became, became a horse trader, even with the enemy. The kingdom ends up split later, as you know, into captivity and the judgment of God's poured out on them. I believe Solomon brought this on him, but let's, let's, let's begin to look. He compromised even more than being a horse trader. Chapter 11, starting in verse 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives. Like Grandma Walton on the Waltons always says, good Lord, 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemos, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is in the east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. And Moses had written it years old. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the, make of my, for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And that was the tribe that Jesus later come out of. Solomon began to compromise. He began horse trading. And 
and the law specifically said, get away from Egypt. Don't go back that way. We, we've come out of Egypt. Egypt had a purpose for, 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 for uh, keeping and preserving the nation of Israel for a time when Joseph had uh, uh, authority and respect in the land of Egypt. Egypt at the time was good for Israel. It preserved that nation. But as time went on, Egypt wasn't good anymore. And, and, he, and he told them as they come out, don't go back that way. Don't do business with them. Don't go after their horses. Solomon went and started buying their horses cheap, selling them, making more money, dealing with the enemies. He began to intermarry. He began to marry these women that the Lord had specifically said to the people of Israel not to marry. He had all these different wives. He did it for political reasons. It was a politically correct thing to do for, for, for him to, to, to uh, try to form relations with them. He was doing what he thought was politically correct as a leader, a world leader at the time. He was doing things trying to keep peace. He married Pharaoh's daughter trying to keep peace. He was trying to be politically correct. I, I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of times I used to get in trouble when I was in the military because I wouldn't be politically correct. Because if they said something that, that I didn't agree with, I, I didn't just agree just to be politically correct. You know, today they tell us to be politically correct. We've got to use gender-neutral terms to address people who don't want to be called he or she. Y'all heard this stuff coming. Y'all heard of the Equality Act that's about to be passed. We're to be against the law that we will be disrespectful to people if we're not politically correct. If I know they were born... A he, they'll be a he to me the rest of their life. If I knew they were born a she, I don't care if, if they now identify as a he. They'll, they'll be a he or a she, whatever they, they were to my knowledge when they were born. I'm not worried about being politically correct. Solomon was trying to be politically correct and trying to do what seemed good to him at the time. But in the end, it led to the destruction of a nation. And, and the generations beyond him, the kingdom was split. And then they, they went into captivity. And it's not just the Old Testament. There's lots of cases in the Old Testament where people compromise God's Word. We can read all through the Old Testament and see where people would serve God for a while. Then they would begin to compromise. Solomon, the greatest leader of all times up to this point in, in the Bible, he compromised and lost his kingdom. In the New Testament, we see compromise. It's not just the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, they compromised. I'll just read that to you. Acts chapter 5, a New Testament compromise. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. You have not just compromised to men, you have compromised to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. He died. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, 
Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together? You have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear come upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Ananias and Sapphira compromised. They tried to hold back part of what they had already vowed to God to give. In the early days as the church was going through um, much persecution, a lot of times they would, they would different ones would, would vow to, to sell a possession or land or, or give of, of whatever their substance was for the, for the good of all people. Um, Paul constantly was preaching in the New Testament against compromise. There was even a time when Peter compromised what he knew was right and the Apostle Paul had to scold him because he was going back on something God had already made clear when he tried to put legalism back on the Gentiles. Compromise. It's all through the Bible. We see the results for the people that did compromise. Here's a thought that come into my heart as I was seeking the Lord on this message. There's so much compromise in the world today. I said, Lord, I know you're coming back very soon. We've got people that need to be harvested. The, the, the fields are ripe and ready for harvest. We need the church. We need the true believers harvesting souls and doing what's right in your life. He said, there's too much compromise among my people. That's why they're not productive. That's why the harvest is not coming. And I says, dear God, these people love you. They believe in you. The, the, the church, and I'm talking to church at, at large. I'm not just talking to people here. The church at large has let compromise slip into church and it's keeping the church from being that powerhouse it's supposed to be. And with the whole world going crazy, we all know it's going crazy, but we know the truth of the Word. We have the answer to the craziness. We have the light of the truth. If we will let that Word, that light of ours shine, if we will be standing up for what is right and doing what's right and being about God's business, we can overcome the, the world. They've done totally compromised. The world's totally off the chart compromised. Even the world that, that, that is not Christian used to have some standards. They thought it was wrong to pick on people less fortunate, things like that. Even people outside the church used to have standards. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Even people that don't go to church used to have standards. They had a right and wrong. But it seems like that, that, that the world has become so compromised that nothing's sacred anymore. Nothing's... Nothing's wrong anymore. Anything you feel is right seems to be okay. The world has compromised so much. But God's church has to stand by what the Word says because we need to show people what the standard is. And if we don't shine the light of this gospel message and tell people what's right and quit compromising, quit letting people get by, no, we're not supposed to persecute people that are doing things against God's Word. We're not supposed to persecute them. We're supposed to share the truth out of love so they can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as we have and that they can, they can be saved.
But, but what the Lord showed me on this call, I said, Lord, if we don't get in, what about all these people that have compromised? He said, some of those very people, and this is this cut me, some of those very people in the churches that are compromising today are going to be left behind when I come after my church. And they're going to be the ones that are going to wake up after it's too late, and they're going to be the ones bringing in the harvest during the tribulation period. Folks, I want to go up in the first resurrection. I don't want to be a compromiser. There's going to be plenty of people left behind to do the tribulation harvest. God showed me that. There's going to be a lot of them. How many watched movies like Left Behind and, 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 and all those? They're the people that were nominal, know about God, but didn't know God personally kind of people that compromised and went the way they were. When they, afterwards, some of those people begin to come back to the Lord. And then they stood up for God and they didn't compromise no more, but they done missed the first resurrection. They done missed the rapture. I don't want to be that, but God spoke to me and said, the compromising church, part of them, not all of them, because part of them, they've compromised so much their hearts will be hard and, and they'll just go along, they'll take the mark of the beast and, and they'll fall into all the hell on earth that's going to be happening and they're going to be part of that world. But, the, but part of those people that are the compromising church that gets left behind are going to bring in and they're going to dedicate themselves to me at that point. And they're going to help bring in that harvest during the tribulation. Man, I, Lord, I want to go in the first resurrection. I don't want to go through seven years of hell on earth. I don't want to be known as part of the compromising church I don't want to be a compromising Christian that gets left behind. We compromise in many ways today. I remember a time, and some of the people that are in this room know what I'm talking about. I remember a time when you didn't miss church for nothing. You had to be really sick. We compromise in our faithfulness to our church in terms of attendance. Oh, man. True Grit's on today. I love John Wayne. I need to stay home and watch this John Wayne movie today. Maybe it's not quite that silly. Maybe it's something a little more important like fishing or hunting. Or maybe it's a little more important like taking the kids on a vacation. And I'm not saying there ain't times you don't miss church. I'm not saying. You, you may have to miss when you're sick. You may have to, if you miss when you're on vacation, you go visit another church while you're on vacation. When Connie and I are on vacation, we still go to church somewhere. And it's kind of neat to visit other churches. Either you see something that maybe you could take back and share with your church to help make your church better, or maybe you gain a, a better appreciation for your church at home. Because I've went to some churches, I'm like, whoa, I can't wait to get home to my church. And then I've seen some things, I said, well, that's kind of neat. That's something we ought to do at my church at home. But we compromise and and and... The least little excuse, let, we let it keep us out of church. And I understand sickness and things like that. Trust me, I do. But we let things keep us away. Let me propose this to you. What if that day that you stayed home to watch that good John Wayne movie, I love True Grit. What if you stayed home to watch that movie and that was the day that the Holy Spirit wanted you to give a message in tongues to edify the church. Or the interpretation of that message. Or what if that was the day that sister or brother so-and-so in the church 
really needed prayer and God called on you to go pray for that person. Folks, y'all know what I'm talking about. We used to have these kind of services where the Spirit would move and one would give a message, one would give an interpretation. People would prophesy and give a word for the church or the Holy Spirit would lay on your heart to go to someone in the congregation and encourage them or lay hands on them and pray for them. What if that day you stayed home to watch John Wayne? That was the day you were supposed to pray for Sister Connie and Sister Connie didn't get her healing because you stayed home for what you thought was a good reason. I don't care how good the fish are biting or how good the deer are moving or how, how good the movie is or, or how good. Be careful what you put and what you compromise going to church for. Amen? When the roads are bad, you don't need to try to get out and, and, and do something, drive on, on bad conditions. That's why we close the church when, when there's a danger posed to people. But when you, when you can, you don't need to compromise your attendance. Another way the church compromises today, a lot of people compromise in their giving. And I'm not going to read through all the scriptures on giving. We've heard them before. I'm just going to put it to you because the Lord woke me up last Wednesday morning and I had to repent because I had, I've had people in the church and people outside the church that have talked to me about tithing and I almost compromised and the Lord scolded me and whooped me and told me, you need to tell the truth what my word says. It's up to them to do with it what they will. But sometimes we tell people, and everybody knows we're supposed to give 10%. It's all through there and God will pour out blessings on us. It's in Malachi, Second uh, uh, Corinthians 9, 6-10. The scriptures are all going to be up on the board. But, but God don't want you to give because you feel like you have to give. God wants you to give from your heart as a form of worship because you love God you're showing God you trust God. Now, when I first started tithing, folks, I was living on ramen noodles and crackers. And God reminded me of this this Wednesday when I sat straight up in bed and I heard Him yelling in my head, you're com- you almost compromised. Because I had told a couple of different people, I, like, like many other well-intended Christians would tell people, that's okay, just give what you can for now and when you get able to give. If we keep telling people that, some people will never get able to give their 10%. I was living on potted meat, ramen noodles, and when I, I splurged once in a while and bought Vienna sausages. But I started tithing. Today, folks, if I want to, I can eat steak every day of the week. God began to change my finances when I begin to tithe. It talks about planting seeds. If you don't tithe, you're eating your seed, so there's no seed for God to produce a harvest in your finances with. And, I, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying this to make anybody feel bad or anything like that, but if you don't do that, you're cheating yourself. God doesn't need your money as much as you need His blessings and His protection. Amen? Alright. But God told me, He says, you be clear. My Word does not say, give what you can until you get better off. My Word says, test me on this Give your 10%, and it's 10% for the poorest to the richest. Now, millionaires like Roger, his 10% is going to look more, look like more than poor folks like me and, me and brother Mike. But 10% is 10%. That, that's, that's God's way. And God will take your 90% and make it work for you. But God gave me a whooping because I told people in the church and some people out of the church, that have been talking to me about time, I'd say, well, at least start somewhere and get to 10% as quick as you can. That's what I've said. God says you're telling them to 
it's okay to compromise. God whooped me for it. And I repented. I said, God, forgive me. I'll tell them what the Word says. Now, don't just go giving because I tell you that's what the Word You've got to make, get it in your own heart to do this. Because God wants you to be cheerful about it. He don't want you begrudgingly. Because if you begrudgingly throw your 10% in each week, there's no blessing attached to money given out of spite or out of compulsion because you feel like you have to. There's got to be that heart change that says, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to test you on this. And you go that way. But I had to repent because I had told some people, just give what you can for now. Which sounds good in my mind. That sounds like a nice humanistic way to tell somebody, you know, young couples or old, old, old people on pensions or, 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 or whatever. But to, to go back to my story, guys, and I'm not bragging, but in 15 years of me being a faithful tither, from when I started, when I was eating potted meat and ramen noodles to live and, and, and eating at Wendy's, if I did get a chance to go in Wendy's or somewhere where there was free crackers, I could get some crackers and that'd save me on my cracker bill for my ramen. I'm telling you, I was scraping it. You've heard of scraping in the mess with the chickens to eat? I was scraping it. But I remained faithful and God turned it around. And within 15 years, my salary had tripled. Tripled. Working for the state. That just don't make sense, does it? Tripled. In 15 years. And everything worked out for me. But you, but you got to trust Him on it. Another thing, sometimes people... That, that, that we compromise, we don't speak up against wrong doctrines. There's a lot of people out there teaching today that there are many ways to heaven. One in particular is Oprah Winfrey on her talk show where she's got everybody's ears. She said, I believe there are many ways to heaven. What does God's Word say? John 14.6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One way. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way. Enter by the narrow gate. He says uh, in, in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many ways. Many ways to go. But difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. There are few because... There's stuff in this Word that contradicts stuff that your flesh thinks is good. Stuff that your mind reasons out is okay. And that's what leads people off track. But when people tell you something like that, and here's another one. Some people, I, and, and, and my son had heard this in his school. One of, my, one of my sons said, well, my teacher said, what if we all serve the same God? You know, we pick on the Muslims and we pick on the Hindus. And we, and, we, and we pick on these different religions. What if we all serve the same God and we're all trying to get the same place? I said, no, sir, that's a lie. We don't all serve the same God. They serve dead gods that are buried somewhere. They can go find the graves of Mohammed and people like that. We serve a risen Savior who is at the right hand of God. We serve a living God who is eternal. And He is the one and only true God, Yahweh in the Old Testament. We... we, we we serve the one true God. Not all these people are serving the same God. That's a lie, though, that people have tried to teach. How many have seen the little bumper stickers where it says, Kate, we all get along, and they got all the different symbols? We need to love our Jewish brothers and sisters, but we need to teach them the truth about Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We don't need to persecute the Jews like Hitler did. and We don't need to, 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 to persecute the, the Muslims and, 
that, that they've been taught this way. They need to hear the truth of what God's Word says. But we don't need to compromise and say, well, I guess we're all serving the same God. We don't compromise the Word. There, again, we use those Scriptures. There's one true way. How about this one? God won't send anyone to hell because He's such a good God. Does God send anyone to hell? We send ourselves to hell. God came to give us eternal life. He came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. He came to seek and save that which is lost. That's what His Word says. He came to save us because we're born into a world of sin and, 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 and we're already condemned. John 3.16, He came into the world to save. Whosoever believes on Him will be saved and, and have everlasting life. He who don't believe, it goes on to say, is condemned already. So we Jesus don't condemn us to hell. We condemn ourselves to hell. But make no mistake about it. Hell is a real place just as heaven is a real place. And there are some people that today will say, well, I just don't believe that. They want to believe there's a heaven, but they don't want to believe there's a hell. I don't believe God will send anybody to hell. I believe there's going to be a lot of compromising, nominal, name-only Christians that are going to end up splitting the gates of hell wide open because they believe that God is so good He won't send anybody to hell. And because I play church and I attend church, that God's not going to send me to hell. When people tell you something like that, that's a lie. Because the Word says, and it, 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 it's in the Word, Revelation 20, verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's at the great white throne judgment. Re Revelation uh, 20, 11 through 15 talks about that. A lot of times we miss the boat and we compromise by not doing enough of what is good. Which brings me to my last scripture, Matthew 25. A lot of times, verse 31 to 46, very familiar scripture. This is where Jesus is, 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 is talking to the crowd and, 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 and the disciples and, and He's... Um, telling them about the end times and he's talking about judging the nations and he's talking about what's going to happen. Let me read this. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, this is after the rapture. This is the second coming. This is when those of us that get to go up in the first resurrection come back with Him and the angels. And He will sit on the throne of glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a sheep, shepherd, divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand but the goats on the left. Then, my, then the, the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. All of that lives up to that one commandment Jesus said, if we just love the Lord thy God with all of our heart and love our neighbors ourselves. That's loving your neighbors yourself. That's helping people, helping the widows, helping the, the people in need, visiting the sick, visiting the prisoners, praying for the sick, doing good works for people, because you love God, not because you're trying to get saved by doing good works. You're doing good works because you love God. You're giving of yourself and your time and your resources and you're loving on people. That's the kind of people that's going to get there. And they go on to ask him and he explains to them 
when you do this to the least of me, you did it for me. Because the disciples said, well, when did we see you sick or in prison or, or, or whatever? He says, when you do it to the least of them, you do it as unto me. Folks, there are people out there who are compromising and finding excuses not to love their neighbors as themselves. There is people who get so busy in their own lives. Do we have lots of distractions today? Oh, Lord Jesus, there are so many distractions. There is so much technology, so much stuff. Sometimes you just need to get alone in a quiet place and talk to the Lord. You will find that, that, that you, can, you, can, you can push those distractions away so that you can do these things and do enough is what is good. So that you cannot neglect helping the weak, the children, senior citizens, widows, orphans. Preaching the Gospel, sharing the truth of the Word with that neighbor across the street. The world is full of compromise, folks. And sadly, it's even snuck into the churches. Even good-meaning, good God-loving church folks sometimes compromise and decide they're too busy to do what is right and what is good. I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the time, when I have to ask God for forgiveness of something, it's for not doing enough what is right. See, Satan can't tempt me anymore with the booze and all the other stuff he used to tempt me. But I can get distracted by being too busy to do enough of what is right. If God lays on your heart that you need to be doing something, you need to be doing that. If it's working with kids or helping old people, whatever it is, you need to be doing more about what is good. People are compromising and the time is getting so short. We need to be so busy doing God's work. We don't have time for any temptation of Satan to get in our way. Because we're so busy either, and if, you, and if you can't do anything else, you can pray. If you, if you can't get out, I understand. You come to a time in, in life, your, your, your bones get stiff in this cold weather. That's happening to me too, and I'm, I'm 39 plus. <laughs> plus a few. But, but do, do what you can for the kingdom. Ask God what do we have you do. Sometimes He might wake you up in the middle of the night. I need you praying for me. Because I'm telling you, Satan attacks me. He'll be attacking me this week, so please, please pray for me because I laid it all out there today. And as I'm preparing this Word, of course, you know who's trying to whisper in my left ear as God's whispering in my right ear telling me this is what I want you to, to preach to my people. Satan's whispering in the left. You're going to make people mad. You're going to make people mad. You don't need to tell them they're compromising. I'm telling you what God's Word says. I'm not trying to offend any person. But I'm not going to apologize for what God's Word says. And it says that if we're compromising, He's not going to know us. God spoke to me clearly. That, that, this is, that, that really got me. He says the people that are compromising, and I had to repent because I was almost, I was kind of compromising a little bit. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. I repent. I'm going to tell you what the Word says. You do with it what you want to. But please, don't compromise. Don't put yourself in a position. Look, there's going to, like I said, I know there's going to be people cheating on their taxes. There's people sometimes that won't tell the whole truth because they're afraid of what people will think of them. You had a chance to speak up and say what is right and true and just according to God's Word. And sometimes you'll bite your tongue because you don't want to be labeled a holy roller. 
They've already drove by the church and seen your car in the parking lot. You might as well just go on and be a holy roller. You might as well just go on and, and be righteous and be true and, and, and be totally sold out to God. You might as well. Because you want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on in at the time. You don't want to be left behind as a compromised person. And maybe you'll get it right in the tribulation, but if you're having trouble fully selling out to God and not compromising what His Word says. Now, how much harder is it going to be when that persecution gets so severe during that seven-year tribulation period? Now, there are going to be some Christians that really wake up and they're going to serve during that period and they're going to bring in a harvest of souls during tribulation. I personally don't want to work that ground. I want to work this end-time harvest before Jesus comes back and gets the church. I don't want to be left behind going through that mess of stuff. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, guys. Lord, I thank You for this Word that You've given me today. Lord, I thank You for burning into my heart the need not to compromise. This is no time. It's too close to Your coming. There's no time. That this is not the time to compromise. There's no good time to compromise. But especially now, as the day draws near, as you're about to come back and get your church, there's no time for compromise. Father God, forgive us. Forgive each and every one of us where we have compromised in any way. Compromised what Your Word says. Compromised our good name. Compromised our integrity out of fear of what others may think. Father God, forgive us where we have compromised. Lord, I ask that there's many within, within earshot today and many that's going to be listening to this sermon on the podcast later. Father, I ask that You speak to the hearts and show each and every person within their heart if there's some compromise they need to quit doing and get 100% sold out to You. 100% give You their heart and quit compromising. Father God, if there's people in this room that You're speaking to today and saying, oh, my son or my daughter, You've been compromising too long. Lord, I, I pray You speak to their heart and that they be obedient to Your Spirit as You speak to them. And that they make those things right today that You would have them to make right. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you would say, Brother Wally, I have never even made Jesus my Savior. I have never asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. First and foremost, I need to accept Jesus as my Savior and get on with business about living for Him. Is there someone here today who would say, I need to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior? Well, let me ask you this. Would somebody here today, would there be someone here today that would say, I've asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior before, but I've let sin come in and I've compromised and went the way of the world way too much, and I need to rededicate my life to Him today. I need to rededicate and say, Jesus, You are my Lord. Forgive me of compromising. I need to make things right with You. I need to rededicate my life. Is there someone like that today? I need to rededicate. Alright, third thing. Perhaps you have been doing your best. What sounds good to you in your ways, but maybe I struck a chord with you today. Maybe, maybe I made you think of something you could do better. And you would say, Pastor, I just want you to pray for me that I can be strong enough to do the things that God's dealing with me on. Is there some people like that? 
I bet there's some hands. There's a couple. Yep. Anybody else? I need help. Yes, I see those hands. I need you to pray for me so that I don't compromise and that I hold to the truth. Yes, thank you. God honors those hands. Well, Lord, you see their hearts. Lord, they, their, their, their hearts have been touched the reason they raised their hands. Lord, I pray that you give them renewed strength within their spirits. Father God, to stand for what is right and to not compromise. To make every attempt to walk in perfect harmony and obedience to what your word says. To not compromise the gospel. To not compromise their integrity. To not say something because in human reasoning it sounds good, but to say it because the Word says it. Oh, Father, I thank You for helping these today. Those that raised their hand, Lord, they need Your strength. Father, I pray that You give them a fresh anointing upon them. Oh, Father God, strengthen them so that they're able to do the things that they need to do. Lord, we thank You for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Is there anyone that needs special prayer today? Anyone got kind of sickness or something in their body? You need special prayer? I know we took requests earlier, but if, there's, if you have special need, if you want to come, I'll pray for you. I'll turn the microphone off. You may not want you to be, I, I try not to put anybody's business out there. Does anybody at all that needs special prayer? Anybody at all? I may say God's a good God. Amen. Give God a hand for His Word today. Amen.